You're listening to the Employment Rights Online podcast, where we discuss everything employment rights and the job. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the podcast. Now this week I wanted to talk about your employment status because I kid you not if you don't know your employment status and the different employment rights that go with each status and the actions you can take to protect your employment rights can confuse you because you won't have a base from which to determine which employment rights you're entitled to, and ultimately, whether you're being treated fairly. So we're going to start at the very beginning, and over the next two or three podcast episodes, we're going to take a look at all things employment status. So what do I mean when I talk about employment status? Employment status is a way to define what kind of worker you are, And your employment status simply means understanding how you have been tied into working for the company or organisation that you work for. In this session about employment status, we're going to look at the status of worker, because this is the status that most workers find themselves belonging to. Now, back in the olden days, most workers used to be employees And we'll look at employee status in our next podcast episode. But employee status is being phased out. Well, I believe because it's the most costliest to the employer. And because employee status is the status where the employer has the most responsibility to its staff and where it's harder to get rid of staff if you don't want them. But that's just my opinion. But as I said, employee status is being phased out and most people now find themselves on worker contracts. So this week, we're going to look at the status of workers. Now, there are several different types of worker contracts and not all worker contracts entitle the worker to the same rights. We have ordinary workers, we have IR35 workers, we have agency workers, zero hours contract workers and workers on what's called giga contracts. And all these types of contracts have similarities in terms of employment rights, but they also have some differences. And we'll go on to look at these in the next editions of the podcast. Now, I'm dealing with ordinary workers this week and you might hear me shift from ordinary worker to standard worker or ordinary workers contracts to standard worker contracts. But I'm in effect talking about the same thing. Now, if you're an ordinary worker, you're likely to have a contract or some other arrangement to perform work or services personally for a reward, be that money or some other kind of benefit. Now, just because you're a worker with a likely more fluid arrangement with your employer, 
you are still entitled to have a contract that tells you what your working arrangement is. And just because your employer doesn't write your contract down and give it to you like a written contract of employment, it does not mean that you are not a worker who is tied in some way to working for the employer. Being tied to your employer simply means that your employer has a degree of expectation that it will be you turning up every day to perform the agreed work duties and not someone else. So what this means is that you only have a limited right to subcontract your work and that agreement to subcontract will be something that you and the employer have agreed but it will be extremely limited under an ordinary worker contract. So if you're a worker you must turn up to work every day. Not maybe turn up but must turn up every day even if you would prefer to be working somewhere else for that day Because the contract that you have is exclusive to the employer and therefore the employer expects that you will fulfil that contract as the worker. This is why as a worker you have very limited rights to subcontract parts of your work because the expectation is that every day that the employer has to provide work for you it will be you turning up. That is the level of exclusivity that you have with the employer. And in return for that exclusivity, the employer has to have work for you to do. And that work has to be available for as long as the contract or working arrangement lasts. And this is the main difference with other types of worker contracts. If you have a contract as a standard worker, the employer must have work for you to do. With other types of worker contracts, the employer may have work for you to do. The difference is in the type of contract you have. Now, as a worker with a standard worker contract, you are entitled to certain employment rights, but not the full package of employment rights that you would have If you were an employee. Now, an important thing to remember here is that the employer must ensure that you are not given less rights just because you work part time. So we're now going to take a look at the rights you have as a standard worker in a standard worker contract. As a worker, you're entitled to be paid no less than the national minimum wage. And you also get protection against your employer being able to take any unlawful deduction from your wages. So if your employer goes into your pay packet and takes money out without your consent, that is a breach of your employment rights and you should make a complaint about that. You're also entitled to receive the statutory minimum number of paid holidays, which for anyone working a full time five day week must be at least 28 days annual leave a year, which is inclusive of bank holiday days. It's important to note here, however, that the statutory minimum number of holidays, that's 28 days, 
doesn't increase if you work six days per week. The law says you are still only entitled to 28 days holiday a year, even if you work six days a week. However, employment rights law does not prevent the employer from giving you extra holidays. This is a choice that the employer can make. And the employer in making that choice can apply whatever rules the employer wants to apply, as long as the rules are fair. And if you've ever worked for an employer where you get extra holidays, you'll know that one of the more common rules applied is length of service, meaning that the longer you work for an employer, the more extra holidays your employer may award you. But whatever the rules your employer has, your employer must give you the statutory minimum holidays of 28 days per year. Now, if you work part time, then you are still entitled to the equivalent of 28 days paid holiday per year. But your holidays are going to be worked out pro rata. And what that means is that the employer will have to calculate the equivalent number of holidays that you're entitled to commensurate with the number of days that you work. So let's say, for example, you work five days a week and you're entitled to five days holiday. It's pretty straightforward. If you then worked two and a half days a week, then you would be entitled to 50% of the holidays that you would have got had you worked five days. So the employer will work out the equivalent rate. And what you need to make sure of is that you are getting the right amount of pro rata days. One of the easiest ways to work it out is if the employer translates the 28 days holiday into working hours. And that way, the employer can say you're entitled to so many hours of annual leave and you make sure that you calculate your leave in hours so you don't lose any time. When it comes to bank holidays, workers don't get any special treatment. Bank holidays do not have to be paid to you as extra leave days. The employer can do this if they choose, but the law says that your employer can also choose to count your bank holidays as normal working days that make up your 28 days annual leave. And this will mean that bank holidays become normal working days for you and you will experience them as being no different to any other working days. So if you're scheduled to work a bank holiday, your partner might have that day off because let's say they work for a local authority. But if it's your normal working day, you will have to work that day. And you may be given the bank holiday as another holiday day at some other point in the year. Now, as a worker, you have the right to accrue or build up your holidays when you're on statutory leave. Now, statutory leave are things like parental leave, that's maternity, paternity or adoption leave. As a standard worker, you're entitled to that form of leave. And when you're on this type of leave, you're not on holiday. And therefore, if you haven't taken your holidays because you've been on parental leave, 
then your holidays must still be available for you to take when you return to work. You also have the right to accrue holidays whilst you're off sick. And you can also request to take your holidays even if you're on sick leave. It's pretty much the same rights as employees in this area. As a standard worker, you are entitled to three different types of rest breaks. You're entitled to rest breaks during the working day. And this should be at least 20 minutes of uninterrupted break time if you work more than six hours a day. So if you're given a 20 minute break and your break is interrupted, then that's not a break. And whatever the interruption is, after that interruption, you should be entitled to return to your break and complete your rest period. You're also entitled to a daily rest break of at least 11 hours between the finish of your working day and the start of your next working day. Meaning, for example, if you finish work at 9pm, you should not have to start work before 8am the next day. Now, of course, if you choose to work longer hours and have less break time, you can do this, but it must be your choice. And the final break you're entitled to is a statutory minimum of at least 24 hours uninterrupted break time from work every week or 48 hours of break time if your working days are calculated over a fortnightly period. So here you may also see that different employers use different systems of rest breaks with some employers giving their workers as much as 72 hours rest break per week. But the point is that if you are in a standard worker contract, the employer only has to give you 24 hours per week statutory minimum rest and everything else after this is at your employer's discretion. Workers also have the right not to be expected to work more than 48 hours per week. And you may already know whether you have the type of contract or profession that gives you the choice to opt out of this employment right and work more hours. But legally, your employer cannot make you work more than 48 hours per week unless you choose to do this. And if you're forced to do this, then that is a breach of your employment rights and you should make a complaint. Next, Workers are entitled to protection against unlawful discrimination before they start work and whilst at work. Remember, I said a little bit about both unlawful and lawful discrimination in episodes one and two of the podcast. So you're able to go back and re-listen to those episodes just to get an overview of the points I made. Workers are also protected under the whistleblower regulations, which protects you from being treated less favourably or unlawfully by your employer because you've reported a wrongdoing at work. So those are the key employment rights that all workers in standard worker contracts will be entitled to. Now, because there are different types of workers, there are additional employment rights, additional meaning statutory, which means legal, that if you're a worker, you might be entitled to. 
such as sick pay, maternity pay, paternity pay, adoption pay and shared parental leave. You'll need to look at your own contract to check your level of entitlement to these rights. However, as a standard worker, there are some rights that you are not entitled to. For example, there is no statutory right to request flexible working when you're a worker. You have no right to time off for emergencies. You have no right to receive statutory redundancy pay. No right to a minimum notice period if the employer wants to end the contract or if the employer wants to dismiss you. And you have no right to protection against unfair dismissal. Although on this aspect of employment law, the particulars and merits of each contract and each case will be looked at individually if workers meet the threshold for where protection starts which is two years in the same contract with the same employer. So what will happen is that a check of your contract will be made to see if you have the type of contract that qualifies you for protection against unfair dismissal. If you pass that test, the next test is to check that you have two years continuous employment with the same employer, which you must have to qualify for the protection against unfair dismissal. If you pass these two initial qualifying tests, only then can you look at whether you can bring a complaint or a claim to an employment tribunal for unfair dismissal. And there we have it. These are the main contractual rights I wanted to share in this episode of the podcast. It might help you to listen to the podcast again with a copy of your own contract next to you, just to get things clear in your mind in relation to your own contractual employment rights. Because once you know what type of employment status you have, once you know what kind of worker you are, then you can begin to check that you're receiving all your employment rights and all your employment protections. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you here next week. Bye for now.